Good morning, good morning. Good morning. Come on, y'all. That was weak. Good morning. It's so good to be here. Let me extend a, a welcome again to our first-time visitors. If you are a first-time visitor here, thank you for uh, worshiping with us today. If you don't have to rush out after service, we'd love to have you hang around for a bit and, 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 uh, and just chat with us, talk to us. We'd love to hear you, hear your stories. And so, uh, again, thank you for coming back once more. Again, let me, let me push us to the fall a little bit um, because Gabe did some announcements and um, and we kind of rush through them, but I'd like for us to really consider what the Lord is doing and has done uh, through this church and through our community. And so uh, our small groups are starting up. I don't, we didn't even announce that, did we? Our small groups are starting up um, uh, in the fall, probably October. And within our small groups, that is the bloodline of the community of our church. Sunday mornings is great, but Sunday mornings is not, uh, in, really, Sunday mornings isn't the community of our church. It's just the gathering portion. I mean, it is some community aspect, uh, but our, our small groups is how real deep community takes place here. And so we want you guys to keep that on your mind. Small groups are coming up. We're about to announce the locations very soon. And once you see those locations and we have signups, we want you guys to, to consider really being a part and really going in deep and trying to build some relationships in some communities. Second thing is DNA groups. We want to continue. I know we've started those, but we want to continue to push those out to you guys and strengthen our DNA groups. DNA groups is a little bit smaller. If we have some cards, I don't know if we do, but uh, hospitality, if hospitality has cards, we'd love for you to grab one a DNA card on your way out. It just gives some information on what DNA is, uh, discipleship, nurture, accountability, a way for us as the church to really go deep with two or three people opposed to a small group of 10 people. Uh, and so, and, and again, that's gender specific. We joke around, no guys going up saying, hey, honey, listen, babe, I want you to be my DNA partner. It just doesn't work like that. We want guys to be in relationship with guys. I mean, going in deep. And that just, it, it protects us, right? It protects females. It protects men from uh, unnecessary sin. And so I uh, want you guys to consider that. And our fourth Wednesday night Bible study, I, I know you guys are like, I have no clue what that looks like, but that is something that's so important for us. We will go through, and I'm, I'm so serious when I say this, uh, it'll take us two years, but we're going to go through the entire Bible. And when I say that, I mean, major themes from Genesis, so the creation, to the fall, to the kings, um, to the prophets, the law, on, on and on up until Christ and what he has accomplished for us, and then the New Testament, the church, and then all the way to Revelations to what Jesus comes back for us. We will go through that in our Bible studies. And so I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited about our Bible studies. We are, Gabe said it best, we tried our best to build this church off of what the Word of God has to say. Speaking of the Word of God, I don't have my Bible. Yes, I do. Tasha took it from me. Speaking of the word of God, we tried to build our church off of the word of God and what it has to say. And so um, I pray that you guys would, would just be excited about it. Um, invite your friends, those who, you know, maybe can't make it out on a Sunday morning, but a oh, fourth Wednesday night, you know, they're home, they're doing nothing. Uh, they can come out. So I, I love to, to, um, to have you guys out. Uh, the last thing is, man, I'm so excited about the new space. We have been cramming in here, and it's been tough some Sundays, uh, but it's, it, it's been a blessing for us. I don't want to complain about this place. This place has been really gracious to us and allowed us to come in, uh, especially this is the first time they've ever had a church in a lounge above a bar. Um, that's something very, very unique, and I, when I talk to the bar owner, um, 
she was very gracious to allow us in. She had no clue what to expect. And so uh, grateful for this place, but we are excited to get down to Fulton Street. So please, next week, um, please come, be excited, bring some people with you. Uh, we were in there yesterday painting. You know, we have contractors in there working. They're working as fast as they can because we had to take a curves space, a curves building, the workout curves, and, uh, and you know, convert it to be a church, refurbish it to be a church. And so that means you have to put up walls in certain places where they're not, you know, knock down walls where they are. And so uh, we are at the tail end of that. We were there yesterday, a group of us, and we were sanding and painting. And when I tell you, I'm still sore uh, from the amount of painting that we were doing. Some of us, you know, just have no clue what we're doing. So we're just like splatting paint everywhere. And, and Eddie comes in with his skills. He's like Mr. Miyagi. He's just sitting there like so controlled. Everybody's looking at him like, yo, teach us how to do that. Um, but we, we're excited. So when you guys come next week, please, uh, please bring some excitement. All right. Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two is where we're going to be this morning. As you turn there, you know, one of our uh, core values here at the church is, is Christ-centeredness. Christocentrism is what we uh, like to call it. And, it, and it, just, it just means it's a funny term for us, a doctrinal term for us, a, a way for us to focus on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, a heavy concentration on Jesus. And today's text uh, provides us with that, that same thing. And so in, in many ways, this highlights who Jesus is as, as a church. Uh, we really believe, honestly believe that Jesus is the main focus of what, what, why we gather. Like, what else do we gather for? Um, and so we want our songs to be reflected about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We want the sermon to unpack who Jesus Christ is. And then at the end of our, of our service, every single service, we want to take communion because we want to remember what Jesus has done. And so we try to have a heavy focus on Jesus because we do believe that he forms and informs every sector of our lives. And so our passage today is another one of those passages, like every single week, uh, that focuses. This one's a little bit more, um, a little bit more upfront and in your face of who Jesus really is. Uh, so we'll be in Mark chapter 2, those of you who have your devices. Who has an actual phone, I mean, the actual uh, Bible with them? Uh, a physical copy. All right, the spiritual ones. Amen. All right. The rest of you have, uh, have I pray that you have, you know, a phone, on, uh, your Bible app on your device. Mark chapter 2, verse number 1 is where we'll start. All right, and it says this. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? Remember, they're questioning in their hearts. It's not a verbal response. In their hearts, they're saying, why, do men, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? 
Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, take up your bed, pick up your bed and go home. And he arose and, and immediately picked up his bed and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this before. I want to preach from the topic titled, When Jesus is in the House. When Jesus is in the house. Let us go before the Lord. Let's pray. Father, grant me the ability this morning to faithfully communicate your text, your, your Bible, your holy, infallible, perfect word. Let me be able to unpack it with diligent, diligence and faithfulness. Give me zeal. Give me passion. Jeremiah 48.10 says, Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord with slackness. And I pray this morning, O oh God, that I wouldn't do this work with any slackness, but that you would give me fervency and zeal. Father, many of us in this room come in this room in desperate need of the nutrients that is found in the word of God. And I pray this morning that you would meet us. Meet us like you meet us every single week. It's in your son's name we come before you. Let everybody say amen. amen. When Jesus is in the house, this is 12 verses I'd like to, y'all know how we do. I want to go through every single verse. Uh, my, my hope is to, I mean, literally do the electric slide through all 12 verses. So let, let's see how far I can get. It's, it's, I got 35 minutes. Let's see what I can do in that short amount of time. Uh, anybody can draw a crowd. Anybody. Celebrities draw crowds. Politicians draw crowds. Uh, Hip-hop artists draw crowds. I mean, Bad Boy went down to the Barclays and sold out not once, but twice. 18,000 seats at the Barclays Center. Anybody can draw. Donald Trump can draw a crowd. That's not a jab. That is a jab. A little jab there. Uh, Donald Trump can draw a crowd. Anybody can draw a crowd. And so I'm not impressed with who can draw crowds. You know what I'm impressed with? What you do when you have the crowd. In our text this morning, we see a crowd that is drawn. This is like when a crowd comes together for a debate or for the Olympics. There is high energy in the room. There's a high expectation of what's going to happen in that room or in that arena. And likewise, in our text this morning, we get a scene where there is literally no more room in this house. I want us to put ourselves in this text. Think about this, consider this, that there is literally no walking room, so much so that verse 2 tells us that they are bursting out the seam, they are bursting out the door. Like you can't even walk in and say, well, there's no seats. You can't get in the house. It's that packed in the house. And the scripture tells us that Jesus has already performed many miracles in, in chapter 1. He's already healed many people. In fact, up until this point, he's healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's, uh, uh, he, he's healed a man with an unclean spirit, and he's healed the leprosy at this point. And so people know about Jesus' ministry. They know about his ability to heal people. So they pack into this house with the expectation to find out, man, let me see this man perform a miracle. Now, many, many uh, uh, church uh, growth experts will say, man, this is the moment where you take advantage of this. You got this room full of people. Jesus, you probably should heal two or three people, right? Don't preach anything. Just heal people and have this crowd in your hand. Jesus does not do that. He does, but he doesn't do that initially. Initially, he does something extremely different. He does something different than all of us would do. So let's consider each one of the verses together. Look at verse number one. And when he had returned to Capernaum, 
after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So they heard about it. Verse two, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room even at the door. Think about this. Jesus is the one that is drawing the crowd. He's not drawing a crowd because music is happening. This is not like a club. This is not like they're coming to be entertained. They're coming because Jesus is the focus. And that must be what draws the crowd to our lives and to ministries and to churches is the centrality of Jesus Christ. That's why we preach him every week. That's why we preach him every week. Why do we do that every week? Because nothing else draws a crowd. Unfortunately, when I say a crowd, I'm talking about a crowd to Jesus. People that don't know, G people that don't know him should be drawn to him through the gospel. Unfortunately, modern Western church often tries to draw people by unworthy means, right? We try to draw them by uh, advertising charismatic, well-known preachers are coming into town and we'll try to draw a crowd by that. Maybe it's excellent music and I like music and music should be a part of our worship gathering, but that can't be the main abilities, fun activities. These all have an appropriate draws people. What draws people, they must be drawn not to hear their favorite song, but they should be drawn to Jesus. If I else, no one's here to see you. Like, you know, y'all ladies with the natural hair, you know, y'all got your stuff popping today. No one's here to see you. We're here to see Jesus. That is why we come. That is why we gather every single week. That is why our core value is the centrality of Jesus because he's the, he's the goal. He's the focus. He's the point of why we gather. And so Jesus sees this crowd. This crowd is there. They want to see him, but they have an expect, expectation to see him perform a miracle, not to see or hear him preach. But what does Jesus do when he sees the crowd? Jesus sees the crowd, and verse number two says, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. Look at the rest of verse two. And he was preaching the word to them. So Jesus sees the crowd and doesn't say, I know they're here for a miracle, so let me just heal two or three people, send them out and say amen, and we're all good. Jesus doesn't do that. He sees the crowd and opens up the Bible and starts to preach. This is the importance of the preaching in the word. That you may not realize how important the, the preaching is, preaching in general is to your spiritual formation. Our gathering time together is very important that we get around the word. If we come together and just sing worship songs, if we come together and just give testimonies, these are all great, but we must get into the word of God because Jesus' main focus in his ministry was preaching. Anytime Jesus saw a crowd, Whenever Jesus saw a crowd, he always preached a sermon. Look, I mean, look at places like he's on the shore with Peter. He sees Peter's boat. He sees a crowd. He says, you know what? Pull your boat out a little bit so I can get on your boat. And I need to preach a sermon. He uses Peter's boat as a pulpit. Whenever he sees a crowd, he's always going to preach. And so Jesus does that here. Jesus looks at it and he says, man, let me preach. But what does he preach? The text doesn't tell us what he preaches. But if we're going to be consistent with the preaching pattern of Jesus, Jesus would have preached the gospel. Let me just be clear about that. In fact, Mark chapter one, the chapter before this one, Jesus clearly opens up in verse 14 and says, and says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So when Jesus saw a crowd, he wouldn't have just preached anything. He wouldn't have preached self-help. He wouldn't have preached prosperity. He would have preached the gospel message. 
What we can conclude from the text is that these four men had to be friends because they went beyond anything that just a normal person would do for them. And so they noticed, they said, man, listen, listen, we can't take him to Benny Hinn's outreach. We got to take him to Jesus. Get him straight to Jesus. Benny Hinn's crusade. All right. Somebody said outreach. Benny Hinn's crusade. And so they take this man, they climb up on the roof, they rip the roof off, and then they lower this paralyzed man to see Jesus. Let's look at what the rest of the text says. Verse number five. Now, verse number five says this. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Notice Jesus doesn't say anything to the four men. Like you would have thought Jesus would have said, yo, that was, that was dope. Y'all ripped that roof off. That was hot. Bring them on down. I'm gonna heal them. Go ahead out. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus does not speak to the four men. He looks at the paralytic and says, your son, I mean, son, your, your sins are forgiven. Now, here's the crazy thing about this part. The crazy thing about verse number five is that the four men brought him for physical healing and Jesus forgives his sins. Jesus doesn't, like, at this moment in verse number five, he's still paralyzed. He's not, he's not walking here. His sins are forgiven. So what Jesus shows us is the biggest problem you have is not a physical one. The biggest problem you have is sin and your sins being forgiven. See, we think the issue is, man, if I can just get this relationship right, then I'll be good. If I can just get this one job, then I'm good. If I can get that degree, then I'm good. That's not the issue. The issue is the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus showed us what's the greatest focus here. Your financial situation isn't your problem. Such a problem. Your problem is the forgiveness of your sin. Jesus goes beyond just physical healing and looks at a deeper need. This man didn't ask for any type of spiritual healing. He wanted physical healing, just like his friends. But what does he get instead? He gets, he gets physical healing. I mean, he gets a spiritual healing. And that, listen, that is Jesus' focus. Even when he heals people physically, it's always to point out to something greater. Like Jesus could have spent his entire ministry, three years ministry, he could have spent it healing people physically and not made a dent in the amount of people, amount of sickness that was there. He could have spent his, but every time Jesus healed somebody, it was for a greater purpose. And so when he opens blinded eyes, it's to point out to the fact that you need your spiritual eyes open. Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of his heart enlightened. I mean, you know that, that Jesus is really more focused on a spiritual healing by the fact that the people that he heals never do anything great after he heals them. Like, think about it. Like, what did Lazarus do after he was raised from the dead? Like, Lazarus rose from the dead to die again. <coughs> Lazarus ain't alive. He died again. And so you, you hear one little story of him reclining at a table. That's it. We hear nothing else. He did nothing else profound. You hear nothing about the man that just was healed in chapter one from leprosy. Hear nothing else about him. It always points out to the fact that there's a spiritual, eternal rest that we're going to get from all sickness. And so Jesus is showing us here, listen, you came here for just a physical healing, but you got something greater. Warren Worsby, Warren Worsby writes this. He says, forgiveness is the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. It brings the greatest blessing. And it is the most lasting result. Jesus does not just, if Jesus just said, 
go ahead and get up and walk and doesn't forgive his sins, what kind of Christ is this? Jesus says, no, what you really need is a spiritual one. And so I'm going to give you that. Notice that when he heals them, he doesn't just say your sins are forgiven. He uses tenderness in the text. He says, son. Many can translate that word son to mean child. This isn't talking age. This is more talking, this is talking tenderness. He's being gentle. Son, your sins are forgiven. It's what Jesus is showing us in this text. And so he goes beyond their expectation. He needed just a physical healing, but he got his heart fixed in this moment. Let's keep going because I'm running out of time. Verse number six. Now, we don't, we don't get to see in this text the response of the man that was just spiritually healed, nor the four friends. We don't know what their response is. Why? Because Jesus, after saying that, then focuses, the text then focuses, focuses on the scribes. Look at what it says in verse number six. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there and questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus just, I mean, focuses straight on the scribes. Scribes in this text, I mean, it's really the theological scholars. This was the, the, the theological elite, the people that knew the law. They knew the Old Testament. They, could, they had to memorize the entire first five books of the Bible in order to be these religious elite. So they knew the text. And truthfully, what they just said was accurate. They said, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's not inaccurate. I mean, nobody else can forgive your sins. Nobody. Only God can forgive your sins. But Jesus, looking at their heart, knows what they're thinking. They don't audibly say this. What's in their heart, Jesus already knows. And so these men said, man, who is this man? Who does he think he is? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're right. Here's why they're right. Either Jesus in this text is blaspheming, which means he needs to die. According to law, he needs to die. Or Jesus really is God. The text doesn't give us room to say he's a good teacher. Text doesn't give us room to say he's a good man. He has a moral character. No, he's either God or he's not. That's what the text is showing us. But in the very next verse, Jesus proves his deity by verse number, verse number eight. He proves his deity. Watch this. And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Who else can know what you're thinking but God and God alone? Jesus, it's almost like he's flossing. So Jesus is saying, man, you're thinking in your heart that only God can forgive sins. And you know what? You're right. In fact, Jesus really is fulfilling Isaiah 43, verse 25, where it says, I am he who blots out your transgression for my sake. Jesus is showing us here that God is able to forgive sin and him alone. And so verse number eight shows us that. He immediately understood. He immediately perceived what they were thinking in their hearts. Let's read the rest of the text. This is what Jesus said to them. Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your, son, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Verse 10. But that you may know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, verse 11. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. So now Jesus physically heals him. So what Jesus did was he handled what he needed most at first. What did he need? He needed a spiritual healing. 
But Jesus really does something. If Jesus, he's showing that the spiritual healing is is accurate based on me being able to rise you up. If Jesus said, son, your, your sins are forgiven, no one in that room could verify if his sins were really forgiven. But everybody in that room could verify after he said that, when he said, pick up your bed and go home, everybody could verify that he had authority. Now, if Jesus, if the man, if he said, pick up your bed and go home, and the man still lied there, then they could say, he can't even, he can't even heal him. How can he forgive sins? But Jesus being able to forgive sin and then say, hey, get up, man. Get your bed. Get out of here. This shows us the authority of Jesus, and he is proving he is who he claimed to be physically and spiritually. He heals him. Verse number 12, and he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Put yourself in this text. This man is carried there. He didn't walk to this meeting. He's carried to this house. He's carried to the roof. He's dropped down from the roof in front of Jesus. Jesus spiritually and physically heals him. He walks out the front door. Like only an encounter with Jesus can have you be dropped in from the roof, paralyzed, and then you walk out the front door. Remember, it's not like they just parted ways. It was packed in the house. So he would have had to say, excuse me, excuse me. He would have had to bump people. They would have seen firsthand the authority of Jesus Christ. And when you meet Jesus, I don't know where you are in your life, but only Jesus can do this type of stuff. Only, not only the physical healing, but the spiritual healing is only done through Jesus Christ. I guarantee you, this man did not leave the house the same way. I'm not even talking physically. There's no way, when you meet Jesus, it's no way you can just go through your life like regular. You get the things that you used to like, you no longer like. The things that you used to do, you no longer want to do. When you meet Jesus, he impacts your life in such a way that everything changes. Your whole trajectory of life should change when you meet Jesus. If you meet Jesus and you continue to do the same thing, you must check, man, am I really up to faith? Because if I'm of the faith, if I've trusted Jesus, everything in me, I know you are like, well, don't question if I'm really a believer. The text tells us, examine yourself to see if you're really of the faith. If you can walk away from this type of spiritual experience where Jesus is able to forgive your sins and be the same, something's not right. All of us in here meet Jesus, we walk out completely different. We do not walk out and be the same. And so there's nobody like Jesus. Nobody in this house could have did what Jesus did. Nobody heals like Jesus. Nobody's able to meet your need like Jesus. Nobody's able to heal you of physical ailments like Jesus. And most of all, nobody's able to forgive your sins like Jesus. Maybe you walked in here and, and, and you, man, you haven't trusted Jesus. You haven't given him your life. You haven't, you haven't fully trusted in the gospel message. I I implore you today to give your life to Jesus because, not just because heaven is promised to us, that is, yeah, that's, that's key, that's huge. But the thing I love most is that I now have a relationship with him. If heaven wasn't promised, I still would love Jesus. Why? Because the relationship with him is so fruitful. Let us pray. Father, this morning, we are confronted with the fact that there is nobody like you. Nobody can forgive sins like you. And many of us in this room, 
that have trusted you all were like this paralytic man. We were spiritually paralyzed, spiritually broken, unable to fix ourselves. Our mama couldn't will us to love you. Our, our actions couldn't will us to love you. We needed a spiritual transformation that only you could give. And our text shows us today, because you're in the house, we're able to receive that type of forgiveness of our sins. Father, somebody in here is wrestling with the fact if they really are, if they've really trusted Jesus. Father, would you meet that person today? Would you help them to be so uncomfortable with the fact that they don't know you that they would give their lives to you? One of the, one of the beautiful things about you is that Revelation tells us that you sit at the door and you knock. I pray that somebody would answer today. As you knock on the door of their hearts, would you meet them today? And then help them to zealously pursue you in a way that their friends would radically know that there was a change that people would be able to visibly see the faith, like these four men had faith that Jesus could heal him, would, would people see our faith and want to worship you? Not us, not us, not unto us, not unto us, but unto you get the glory. After Jesus performed this, Lord, the entire house was amazed. And the scripture tells us that they glorified God. May our lives, may your impact on our lives bring glory to you and to you alone. And so that man or that woman in here that doesn't trust you, doesn't know you, save them today. Ransom their heart for your glory and for your honor. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.